continue our study this morning and through the book of Acts. We're in Acts chapter 16. Uh, if you brought your Bible with you and want to turn there, if you have it on your uh, phone, um, through an app or whatever you want to do. But we're in Acts chapter 16. And I'll give a little bit of a recap from last week and then we'll pick up in verse um, 11. But just want to say a couple of things from last week is last week we're really to see the beginning of the second missionary journey of Paul. And he has Silas and Timothy with him. And then they pick up Luke um, on this trip at the beginning of this trip. And so the four of them um, are now traveling together. And so I do want to read just verses 6 through 10. It says, And they went through the region of Pergia and Galatia, having been forbidden by the Holy Spirit to speak the word in Asia. And when they had come up to Mysia, they attempted to go into Bithynia, but the Spirit of Jesus did not allow them. So passing by Mysia, they went down to Troas. And a vision appeared to Paul in the night. A man from Macedonia was standing there, urging him and saying, Come over to Macedonia and help us. And when Paul had seen the vision, immediately we sought to go into Macedonia, concluding that God had called us to preach the gospel to them. Um, and there was a couple of things that we noted um, last week that are important. One is just to understand the context and understand a little bit of the geography is important. Um, Asia is not what we think of as Asia today in terms of China and Japan and, and those nations. Uh, but it is a province um, in the Roman Empire, which is in modern-day Turkey. Okay, so that's where they were trying to go originally. And they um, couldn't get there because, ultimately, God did not want them to go there. But it wasn't that God didn't want them to go there at all. It was a matter of timing, that God did not want them to go there then. Because some people have taken this passage and said, well, God didn't want the people of Asia to know him, obviously. Well, that's a false conclusion because we ultimately see, um, at, you know, probably a lot more, but at least seven churches planted in that, in that area, including Ephesus. And you have the book of Ephesus, you know, written to the church at Ephesus. But the book of Revelation is actually written to the seven churches which are in Asia. Um, so this is really has to do with the matter of God's timing. At the end of this journey... Uh, Paul's going to get a short um, stay in Ephesus, and then he's going to spend a long time there, nearly three years there, um, in his third missionary journey. Uh, and so he's going to be in that region a lot. But God wanted them to go ahead and to go into Macedonia because the timing was right for the people who were there. So as we have that in mind, um, and we're going to see a little bit of an ironic thing in this next few verses, but if we have that in mind, let's go to the Lord in prayer um, and ask help in understanding this next, um, next passage. So, Heavenly Father, we come to you this morning. We thank you for the privilege to be here, to uh, worship you, to learn from your word. We pray that you would teach us by your Holy Spirit, that you would have your way among us today, that your presence would be known among us, that you would build us up um, in our faith, and that you would encourage us as we go out um, to think like missionaries and to act accordingly. Um, in your name, Jesus, we ask it. Amen. Uh, so let's read in verse 11 through 15. It says, Therefore, sailing from Troas, we ran a straight course to Samothrace, and the next day came to Neapolis, and from there to Philippi, which is the foremost city of that part of Macedonia, 
a colony. And we were staying in that city for some days. And on the Sabbath day, we went out of the city to the riverside where prayer was customarily made. And we sat down and spoke to the woman, to the women who met there. And now a certain woman named Lydia heard us. She was a seller of purple from the city of Thyatira who worshiped God. The Lord opened her heart to heed the things spoken by Paul. And when she and her household were baptized, she begged us, saying, If you have judged me to be faithful to the Lord, come to my house and stay. And so she persuaded us. And now let's look into this story a little bit more uh, this morning, because there's some important things and some helpful things for us to, to gather and to, to understand. First, we've got to remember where uh, they, are, they are now in, the, in going traveling and ending up in Philippi which it says is the foremost city of that part of Macedonia. Now, Macedonia is part of what we know as modern Greece. So you can have that in your mindset of like where in the world this is. So modern Greece today. Um, and it was a colony. Now, this is important because this means it was a, you know, a, a lot of Roman influence there. It's part of the Roman Empire, as many places were. But to be a colony was a little bit different. To be a colony meant that the Roman Empire strategically um, put Roman citizens there um, and did so um, a lot of times with people who were formerly in the military, you know, people that had retired um, and would have their families there. And they were trying to, you know, have influence over the culture in key strategic locations throughout the Roman Empire. And the way they did that was that they would put a lot of people who were, you know, Roman citizens, um, usually by birth um, and sometimes by, you know, having purchased it, but they would put them there strategically to make the city more Roman in terms of its culture. Because not all parts of the Roman Empire, though controlled by Rome, you know, had, a, had like a, a strong Roman culture in it. But this obviously has a very strong Roman culture, and it would also have been a military you know, outpost. There would have been a lot of people in the Roman military that would have been stationed here um, in Philippi as well. And so this is where they travel. Now, it's interesting also in verse 13 where it says, On the Sabbath day we went to, out of the city to the river, riverside where prayer was customarily made. Now, what this tells us is that the city of Philippi did not have a synagogue. Because we know that when Paul traveled um, and his missionary teams, their custom was they would begin by going to the synagogues if there was one. They would go to the synagogue and they would preach there because there they already have people who are, you know, monotheists who believe in one God um, and who have agreed that the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob is that God. And so they have a common foundation from which to begin. They also felt an obligation um, to speak to the people first that were of the same culture as themselves before they would go into the, to the Gentiles in the marketplaces and other places um, in that community. And so that was their normal pattern. But here there's no synagogue to go to. There isn't, um, as opposed to a lot of other cities, there isn't a whole lot of Jewish influence in this city. Um, but there is still some because on the Sabbath day, and this is the day where, you know, Yahweh, the you know, God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, would be worshipped. Um, and so they, they go to the riverside where these women are meeting there to pray. Um, and so 
here they meet a certain woman named Lydia. And we learn a couple of things about her. Um, she was a seller of purple from the city of Thyatira. So basically what they would do, and this is actually where we get our word baptism from, because baptism, the, the word is from the Greek, which means to dip into. And it came from this um, idea of dyeing garments. So um, they had this purple dye. Um, sometimes that was plant-based and sometimes it was uh, from a sea creature based. But um, they would dye the clothing and then they would sell it. And so it was a more expensive um, sort of garment that she would sell. So she's a businesswoman. She's from Thyatira. Now, you might recognize the name of that city because that is a city in the province of the Roman province of Asia. Uh, and that's one of the cities where ultimately there's a church, one of the seven cities that the book of Revelation was written to. Okay? So he, she's actually, it's kind of ironic that while told... Don't go into Asia, go into Macedonia, that the first woman and her household who ends up really becoming a follower of Jesus there is a woman from Asia. So again, any thought that God didn't want the people of, of, from that province to know him is completely, that myth is completely blown, completely dispelled um, altogether. But she was a wealthy woman. Um, she has a business, um, obviously, and we ultimately see as the story goes on, when she asks um, the missionary team to stay at her house, she has a house large enough, which is a household, that usually means it's going to be her family and servants, um, and then she's also got room for, for four adult men to stay there as well, and so she has, you know, some, some property here, um, so she's a wealthy woman in the city, she's done well uh, for herself. We're not told, because it says her household, we're not told about her husband. Uh, perhaps at this point she's a widow. Um, you know, we, we don't want to speculate too much, but the way the story is told, that's, you know, likely. Um, and so she, maybe she's a little bit, you know, older as well, or maybe her husband, you know, died uh, younger. We're, we're, not, we're not sure. But we see that the Lord worked in her heart, and so that she would listen to the things of which Paul spoke. Now, this is important because this woman, it says when it says who worship God, it's the same sort of phrase that's used um, earlier in the book of Acts to describe the Roman centurion Cornelius, um, who, who was a, a person who worshiped God and feared God, even though he wasn't you know, a proselyte. He had not converted to Judaism but he, he, you know, so he's not fully in that community, but he is one who worships God. And, and this is probably Lydia as well. She's, you know, probably influenced and connected um, to these other Jewish women who are worshiping God. And she worships God, God too. But it doesn't seem that she's necessarily a full convert into Judaism. But she's, you know, trying to worship God as best she understands. Now, for her, coming from a Gentile background, this is also... Is, obviously going to be a, there's a big change that's already happened in her. Because, you know, she's grown up in a polytheistic culture, you know, with many gods. And so now she is have you know, at some point, she had to come to the first basic understanding that some of her relatives that were older than her were, were wrong in their worship of these, these 
you know, multitude of gods. And there's something that we need to understand that these, these Roman and, and, you know, the Romans took their gods from the Greeks and just gave them different names. But these Roman and Greek gods were very much human in the way that they operated. Um, they did not always do what was right and good. You know, they sometimes just toyed and played games with humanity was the viewpoint. And then she comes to understand that there's actually one true and ultimate God who at his core, who at his core characteristics, he is holy, he is just, he is righteous, he is loving. And so that's a huge shift because she has to come to a, an acknowledgement that whether it was her parents or her grandparents or whoever, that their ideas about you know, the gods were all wrong. And that she had to recognize that there is a true and living God. She had to recognize that for herself, that there is one ultimate God. Now, the good news for, for, for Lydia, and we're not told here all the things spoken by Paul, but if Paul tells the whole story, we go back to our very first parents of Adam and Eve. You know, if you go back far enough, and no matter where a person is from, if you go back far enough in their lineage, you will find a person who is worshiping God, the true God, in the true way. If you go back far enough, because we're all connected to Adam and Eve. So some will have to go back further in their lineage than others, but everyone can trace their lineage back far enough to people who worship God the, the true way and the right way. And this is one of the ways that we're able to, to confidently proclaim that God is and has always been for every people, every tribe, every tongue, every nation under the earth. That that has not changed about, about him. And so really, you know, because sometimes this question comes up and we find this question, um, you know, when we work, or we have a team that just came back from Mexico and we're working with indigenous people, you know, in, in the mountains there. And, you know, sometimes they, there'll be this question of, but do I want to leave, you know, the, the beliefs of my ancestors? And, and really what we can say back is, well, you're actually going to be disagreeing with some of your ancestors, but you will be agreeing with others of your ancestors. If you go back far enough, you will find yourself agreeing. But somewhere along the line, someone in your line you know, got confused about who God really is and what he's really like, and then transmitted that further down. And so now we're gonna un- we can undo that mistake through believing in the one true and living God and his son, Jesus Christ. And so that's a powerful uh, shift of, of thinking and, and, and way to approach that problem. Because it is a problem. But there is, a, there is an answer to that problem and a solution to that problem. And it's ultimately found in coming back to worshiping God as he really is, um, according to his way. Because we, we understand to be, and what the, this, this woman Lydia had to understand was that the religions that were common in her day you know, were man's attempt to define and to understand you know, things higher than themselves, even though they got all that wrong with the multiple gods and all of these different things. 
but it's man's attempt. And really, that's what religion ultimately is. It's man's attempt. And so what we need beyond religion is revelation, where God reveals himself and defines himself and says who he is and lays all of that out for us. And here we have this done in a very personal and powerful way as the Lord opened her heart to heed the things or to listen to the things and to agree with the things spoken by Paul. And so we have that in a very personal way here as God is revealing himself to this woman because God loves her and God has a, you know, a plan for her life. And not just for her life, but for, the, for her household and for others around her. As it says here, that she and her household were baptized. And as we've seen in the scripture, the, uh, the, the natural response of belief is then baptism. You know, we see that throughout the book of Acts, there's a pattern. And they believed and were baptized. Because belief is that inward that only God can see, okay, and know that it's true. But baptism is that, is that outward profession to the world, that I am identified with Christ. And for this woman who, you know, made her living by baptizing garments into a purple dye, and now she's baptized to show that spiritually she has been baptized. She has been put into Jesus Christ. She's been put into his death at the cross. And she's been raised up, taken out of spiritual death, spiritual separation from God. As she's pulled out of that water, it represents that she is now resurrected. She's a resurrected person. So it's a public display of a, of a spiritual and inward reality. And it's a testimony. It's a testimony that, you know, she's now a believer in Jesus. She's now a follower of Jesus. And that this, from this point forward, defines her life. You see, because what happens for her, because listen to what she says here, if you have judged me faithful to the Lord, See, now everything in her life revolves around, if you've found me faithful in the Lord, the Lord is the defining aspect of her life. You know, before, if you would ask her who she was, said, Lydia, who are you? She might say, I'm a strong woman. I'm a businesswoman. She might say, you know, I'm, a, I'm from Thyatira, and now I live in Philippi. And I've made it here and I've succeeded. She might have defined herself as, you know, she's a seller of purple. That she's, you know, that she's wealthy. She might have defined herself as a widow. She might have defined herself in a lot of different ways. But now all of those things are secondary definitions to her ultimate definition. Which is that she is a follower of Jesus Christ. That her purpose in life is to be faithful to the Lord. Now that is her ultimate defining characteristic. Everything else in her life is from this point forward now going to revolve around that spiritual reality that she is in Jesus. That's her identity. 
That's her key, the key aspect of her identity. And ultimately, none of the other aspects of our identity can truly fulfill us because there will always be something missing. If I just define myself as a, as a man, if you just define yourself as a woman, if you just define yourself by where you live or what you do or what your ethnicity is or what your hobbies are, there will always be something missing because we are designed for our ultimate identity to be found in Jesus Christ himself. So if, if you're answering the question for yourself or if somebody else asks you the question, who are you? Or to define yourself. I hope and pray that you're, you're able to define yourself first and foremost as I am a follower of Jesus Christ. That is what defines me. And there's something wonderful and freeing about that because when we, we live in a world where people, you know, will look down on you for, you know, somebody will. You know, somebody will look down on you for who you are or what you do or where you're from or whatever it is. And now we can take that a little bit like, you know, water off a duck's back. That we are, we are less easily offended because, you, yeah, you might, you're criticizing my secondary things. Well, well, so what? So what? You're criticizing my secondary things. You're criticizing the things in my life that pale in comparison to the importance that I am identified as a follower of Jesus. Now, if somebody comes after me for being a follower of Jesus, now I'm totally okay with that too. You need to be okay with that too. Why? Because then you have the privilege to suffer with Jesus because his life was a life of suffering in large regard. And so then you count it, as Paul said, a privilege that you are counted worthy to suffer with him. And so now, I don't have to get all irate, irate, (laughs) going to get all right, whatever, don't have to get all agitated when people, you know, attack you for whatever different reason. You can be faithful to the Lord and handle that well, handle that well. So now this is what defines her and her household as others in her household. Obviously, you know, they they believed and were baptized as well. And and one of the things that I I want to, as we look in this passage, to consider, um, you know, is to think, to think like a missionary thinks. Because Paul and his missionary team, you know, when they're going and, and they're working, you know, they're not just like, you know, randomly showing up places. They're, they're, they're strategic in, in where they're going and why. And a lot of that, you know, obviously is, is dictated by the leading of the Holy Spirit. And so we need to be people who are led by the Holy Spirit. Um, but we need to be people who are, are thinking, you know, where are the people that I can share Jesus with in, in, in my life? And how can I share Jesus with them? And how can I share that in a way that they can understand it? You know, what does the Lord want me to do? And where does he want me to go? And just a, 
an example of that outside of the you know the the world of following Jesus. But um, sure, a short story of flaming hot Cheetos. Y'all know you know flaming you know the, the Cheetos that are flaming hot. Flaming hot Cheetos, they're they're delicious, right? Okay, most people like flaming hot Cheetos. But how did those come into existence? The story of that is pretty interesting. There is a man named Richard Montanez who um, his family were immigrants to California and they worked uh, picking grapes in the you know wine vineyards. He would spend all day doing that. They have common meals with six other families. Um, he grew up very poor. He knew what it was to be hungry. Um, you know, he ended up dropping out of high school, and he gets a job as a janitor. Um, you know, in the Frito Lay, you know, factory. And then one day they get this message from the CEO of the company that tells he says, you know, I want every employee, no matter what your position is, to think like a CEO. And he said, you know, most of my colleagues, you know, most of his fellow workers, you know, didn't think much about that at all. You know, it was just kind of like, yeah, whatever. You know, I'm a janitor or I work on this factory line or whatnot. But he took it to heart. And so, um, you know, the story goes that one day there was a problem with the regular Cheeto-making machine. And so they all come out plain. And then, you know, so he sees those. He's like, that's odd. And then later on, um, they, you know, there's this common um, food called elote. And you might, did y'all have that when you were down in Mexico this time? Okay, it's, uh, it, it's you missed out on it this time. It's, it's corn, um, like corn on the cob, but they put this hot chili, you know, powder all over it. And so he has this idea, what if I put that hot chili powder all over the Cheetos? And so he gets some and he makes that and he gives it to his family and friends. Everybody loves it. So he's, he sets up a meeting with the CEO of the company. He's got three weeks. You know, so he decides, okay, I'm going to go to the, he goes to the library. He gets a book on marketing. He basically like copies his presentation, like step by step, word for word, you know. Um, he makes some of the Cheetos. He makes a little bag and design. Um, he buys his first tie, which cost him $3. And he goes in and he makes his presentation. And now you have Flamin' Hot Cheetos, and now he's one of the top executives at Frito-Lay. And so that's what we call, yes way, that's what we call getting it. You know, that, that he, you know, he got that message, you know, when it was told to him, you know, think like a CEO, he took that seriously. And, it, you know, it, you know we, we look at it, it was kind of funny because we don't think like, you know, Flamin' Hot Cheetos are like this, you know, b- super brilliant thing. But it's a multi-billion-dollar brilliant thing, you know, simple but powerful. Um, and so, what I want to encourage us this morning is, you know, do you think like a missionary? And what does that mean? You know, that that means you know to, to think like an evangelist, somebody who wants to share Jesus with other people. It means to think like a disciple maker. That you're, you're concerned more about them just making a profession of faith, but you want to see them grow and mature into fully mature followers of Jesus Christ. So if you think like an evangelist, you think like a disciple maker, that means you're thinking like a missionary. So now take that to where you spend your time and how you spend your time, both in your work context, if you, if you work, or in your school context, if you're a student. 
or outside of that context, whatever your context is, consider that context and go, how am I the best missionary I can possibly be in this context? How can I be on mission with Jesus in this context? Because if you're thinking about your work and you're thinking about your recreation and you're thinking about your free time and you're thinking all about that just in terms of the work and the recreation and the feed time and eating your meals and whatever else. And that's if you're a follower of Jesus, but that's as high up as you're thinking about, you're thinking about it all wrong. And you're thinking about your life all sorts of wrong. You need to be thinking about it in terms of a missionary. Think about your life and you say, I am a missionary and I am on mission with Jesus. Now, how do I do that in a way that pleases God? How do I do that really well? Now, think about how that changes everything. Because it's a change in perspective. You think about it differently. You're not just going through the motions of your life, and you're no longer living a compartmentalized life, which is what a lot of followers of Jesus unfortunately live. Where, you know, Sunday is our time to come together and worship and hear a message, and then, you know, we maybe have some Bible study or some other thing, you know, during the week. But otherwise, you know, I'm just going to class, I'm going to work, I'm doing, and there's a disconnect between those things. And we've got to remove that disconnect. We've got to remove that disconnect. So that, you know, when, when you do anything, you do it as a missionary of Jesus Christ. When you go to the doctor, you go to the doctor's office as a missionary. When you go to your work, you go as a missionary. When you go to your classes, you go as a missionary. When you go to a restaurant to eat, you go as a missionary. And you see the difference then in, in terms of how that affects things. How do you treat the waitress or the waiter if you're a missionary in that restaurant and not just somebody there to consume a meal? Because you see, then you see that person as God sees that person. Then you try to love that person as God loves that person, as the love of Christ compels you. Well, that gives a lot of compassion then as well. And that gives an understanding of, hey, my service isn't super great today, but you know what? I'm not going to complain about that because I don't know what's going on with her or his life. They might have just had a, a close relative die. I don't know. But what I do know is that I can be polite. I do know that I can share the love of Jesus. I do know that I can have self-control and keep myself from being obnoxious. I do know that I can do these things in the love and power of Jesus. And so that changes all about how we think. And if you change how you think, then you change how you speak and how you act. But you have to be committed to the call that I am a, in, in my everyday life and in all that I'm doing, I am a missionary of Jesus Christ. For his glory and for his honor. And so our lives become identified and wrapped up you know, in Jesus himself.
himself. And that's a beautiful thing when that happens. It's a beautiful thing when that happens because then, I mean, what do you, when you have a church full of missionaries, you have a church full of people who are on mission with Jesus who throughout their weeks, throughout, you know, each week are striving to share him and to make disciples and, you know, to encourage people, to love on people. I mean, that, that's the type of church we want to be a part of. You don't want to be a part of a church where only like two people are doing that. That doesn't sound too great, too fun. You want to be a church full of people doing that. And so that goes back even to the beginning of the year. Like how do we, you know, to do that, we have to press into the presence of God because he is ultimately our strength and our motivation and our help. And so we, we press into the presence of God. It's kind of like step one to being a good missionary. Because if we don't have much of a, of a connected life of fellowship with God, how are we going to convince you know, other people that, hey, this is what you want and need in your life? If they see us just marching through life like everybody else, from cradle to grave, if there's not really a difference in how we live, and our, uh, there's not much of a difference in our attitudes, if there's not much of a difference in our purpose, in the day-to-day of life, and why does somebody want that other than the fact that we've scared them into that they need this fire insurance? Well, yeah, you know, there is a proper place for fear because God is holy and sin cannot be in his presence. And yes, all of that is true, but there's so much more. The benefit side is so much greater than avoiding the negatives. The benefit side is you get to walk with God. The benefit side is you have a purpose in life no matter what you do or who you are. That your identity is in Jesus. So if you want to think like a missionary, you need to, you know, we study the life of Jesus because he was the ultimate missionary. That we study the life of Jesus and we study the you know, we, read, we study the book of Acts like we're doing now so we can see how they did it, what they did. And we're trying to gain insight. You know, we're not just reading this and going, well, these are some interesting historical facts. Oh, hooray, look at what God did back here. I mean, there's part of that. These are some interesting historical things. Hooray, look at what God did here. But it better be more than that. Because we are the continuation of this. We're the continuation of the book of Acts, living it out now in 2017. And so therefore, we have to be people who think like missionaries. It's not just something you do occasionally where we're going to go on a mission trip. That's a very focused time of that, and that helps. But hopefully, if you go on that and you come back, like, then you're just more about mission every day. Because you, you get a better taste of what that is like. You get some good practice in with other people of doing that together. But the reality is, life isn't a mission trip for most people. Life is, you know, going to work and paying the bills and living in the community and, you know, those sorts of things. And so, it, it, it's, but it is supposed to be our ultimate mission trip. The entirety of your life. 
the entirety of your life. Think like a missionary. Think like a missionary. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you that you love us and that you are good, that you are holy, and you loved us so much that you gave us your unique son, Jesus, to die on the cross for our sins and to be raised from the dead. That all of our sins are covered and paid for in him. We thank you, Jesus, for what you accomplished for us at the cross. I pray, Lord, that each person here, each person who's part of our church, each person who's influenced by our church would ultimately, Lord, have their identity wrapped up fully in you, dear Jesus. Just like Lydia came to know. And Lord, we pray that you would help us to be on mission with you, to to think like missionaries, to act like missionaries, to live like missionaries, that we are on mission with you. And so that we would think about all of, our, all of the things of our lives, we think about our efforts and our time and our finances and all of these things, we would think about it like missionaries, Lord. And so we pray that you would help us to be faithful to the calling of which you've called us, dear God, that we would walk worthy of that. And so as we take the bread and the cup that represent your body and your blood, Lord Jesus, We say thank you for what you accomplished for us at the cross. Thank you that our identity is in you. And please give us the strength and the courage and the understanding and the discernment to be missionaries for your honor and your glory this week in this community. We ask it in your powerful name, dear Jesus. Amen. Mm -hmm.